Welcome to That's Marketing Baby, the weekly show where two marketing besties talk all things marketing in the world of B2B and B2C. I'm your co-host, Susan Winograd, and I've spent over 20 years in marketing focusing on paid media and email marketing. And I'm Jess Cook, copywriter and creative director turned content marketer. Every week, we'll tackle a topic that's on our minds and hopefully yours too. Ready? Let's go. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Aircule. Aircule is an agency focused solely on organic growth for B2B SaaS brands. I've worked with them before, and I can tell you I've never felt so confident and in control of my content strategy, SEO, and analytics. They also have this great free tool, Automo, that translates Google Analytics into actual usable data. Which pages are killing it, which ones are declining, and what you can do about it. Check them out and give Automo a whirl at E-R-C-U-L-E dot C-O. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome. Hey, everybody. Back to That's Marketing, Baby. I'm Jess Cook. I'm Susan Winograd. And we're here for your listening pleasure, your learning delight, (laughs) marketing whimsy. I don't know. There you go. Hey, you're the content person. You got to spit out those adjectives. (laughs) That's right. Magic of three, baby. (laughs) How are you? What's new? It's almost Halloween. I know. I don't think I am this year. We've been kind of just like, haven't cemented plans yet, which friend we're going to with Sadie. Usually we're way better planned, but this year was just, it just kind of felt all over the place. I'm not sure why. I've just been busy. It's candle season and we're coming up on gifting season. So it's just been like lots of in-person markets, lots of shows, lots of wholesale orders. So I just kind of feel like I've been busier than that. And then especially in fractional CMO media side of my life, starting second week of November, everything just dies, right? So this is like the crunch time of everyone like, get all the leads, get the leads. There's just like a lot of chaos every week of hurry up before the world goes to sleep for six weeks on business, basically. So I think I've just been so preoccupied. Like I told you, I was like, we had to move the recording because I'm like, I literally have six hours worth of meetings today. I can't talk anymore. So yeah, it's been busy. I mean, busy is good. It's a good problem to have. It's just been, what about you? You've been chilling between your, your yeah, between roles right now. Not a lot going on at the moment as Taylor Swift would say. Had to I have am, the T-Swizzle reference. As I know. <laughs> Jam that in there real quick. I am dressing up. I haven't been planning this, but I just bought this great new tulle skirt and it's black. And I was like, nice. oh, Wednesday Adam's perfect. So just going to kind of put some stuff together for my closet. And then both my girls are going as different colored M&Ms, which oh. I know. They're <laughs> so, so excited. So I bought them like the almost like Mickey Mouse hand gloves. Oh. They both have like a t-shirt that has the big M on it and then like the right color tutus and like the soccer socks. So it'll be cute. It's supposed to be cold here though. So well, you're you in know. Michigan, of course. I know. It's always cold. Gotta figure out what to jam underneath <laughs> it all to like keep them warm. But I just want to do a note to our listeners, by the way, because I'm looking at our recording and someday this will be on YouTube and you'll see it too. But I am drinking out of my David Rose Schitt's Creek. <laughs> I was cup, gonna comment on it. And I have to make it known to everybody that you have to go pile into Jess's comments and tell her that she has to watch Schitt's Creek. <laughs> Because this was a very disappointing fact I discovered when we hung out. I'm like, I could not believe she has not watched this. It's 100%. And I've sent her like David Rose gifts Uh, and the whole thing. And I'm like, she has to watch. So that's her sign. I'm cool in every other way. I I know. know So I'm I'm, going to do peer pressure. If I can't get you to watch, I'm going to call your LinkedIn followers pile on. Excellent. Thank you for that. Yeah. I will watch it. I promise. I do. I know that it. It's a whole new realm of inside jokes. I know. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'll I'll get on it. Do it before you start your job. That's your, I know. I was just going to say, I have time. <laughs> I have time. 
Hey y'all, today we have kind of a fun little thing we're going to do. Susan and I thought it would be fun to throw each other kind of hypothetical situations, marketing situations, and see how each other would tackle it. Because we get questions like this all the time, right? Where it's like, hey, this is my situation. I'm at a company like this. We're doing this. It's kind of working. Like people throw that stuff at us quite a bit. And so we thought it'd be fun to do this together. And if y'all like this, throw us your scenarios and we'll we'll try to answer them in, a, in an upcoming episode. The thing that I like too also is that like, I feel like these are questions we've asked each other mm-hmm. because we're part of each other's worlds, right? Yes. So we'll kind of observe something at a company or a brand we work with and reach out to the other and be like, they're saying this, is that true? Or how does this work? They're asking about this thing and I don't really know a lot about it. So it's like, there's definitely been times where we've gone to each other. Like, I don't know exactly what to do with this, or they were saying look on this, like, what would you do? So it's kind of a fun conversational topic that's happened. I think since we've known each other, we never made an episode about it. So yeah, it just made sense. So we each have a couple, we're going to kind of toss each other's way and talk through it. Okay. So I am going to start with you. One of the things that we've definitely seen, and I've seen this at brands and you and I have experienced it, is you'll have a content team that's pumping out really good content and you're starting to see organic traffic. Everyone's all excited. But then it's like everyone keeps waiting to see an uptick in demo requests or kind of whatever that B2B initial metric is at least. And it's not happening. So what happens, it's kind of like the opposite of the our most popular episode of the is my content working episode where it's like those incremental things you look at every day are showing you positivity, but you're waiting that amount of time that you would normally wait and you're not seeing anything come from it. So like, what do you do with that? What happens then? Yeah. Okay. This is a good one. And this happens a lot. So first thing I would look at is like, what are the blog posts, the content that you're putting out? Who are those for? And oftentimes what happens is you're creating great content but they are more for maybe like a user of your software and not the decision maker. So what's happening is you're getting traffic, you're seeing success in terms of like time on page and page views and things like that coming to that blog post or that piece of content and getting value out of it. But they're not someone who can make the decision to be like, oh, I'm gonna get a demo of this, right? Mm-hmm. This actually happened to me at Lasso when I first started. They had a ton of blog posts. They were written for crew, like the people who actually put the shows together. Oh, yeah. But crew are not the people who purchase the software. Business owners are. So that's one thing to look at. Go look at who it's for. Is it written for the decision maker or someone else? That's mm-hmm. usually a root problem. Yeah. And that's something we see in paid media too. Honestly, it's like want to run stuff on LinkedIn and they'll say, run it to these job titles. And then there's like no engagement because it's a practitioner and it's like, it's a really great piece of content, but it's really more of like the how-to mechanics and not necessarily the business outcome stuff. So it's like you're promoting non-business outcome content to a group that's not the person doing the work every day. They're looking for outcomes of things. Yeah. It's not bad. There is now an audience of people who's finding your stuff, who is getting value out of it, obviously. But if they're not a decision maker, maybe you need to pause on that for a while until you've reached this point of like, okay, now we can kind of go dig into these audiences. They're going to pass it up the chain. Hey, I've seen this cool thing Mm -hmm. and I think we should look into it. But in this case, when you're like, you're in growth mode, you're trying to figure out like who can actually help us drive revenue. Yeah. Make sure it's targeted to the right person. Another thing to make sure of is that you're qualifying people 
in your content or on the website somehow. So you're saying this is who this is for. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely something to look at as well. It's like, are you very explicit on the website that this piece of software is for event company owners? whose revenue is between X and Y, right? I feel like so many B2B websites don't do that. They don't because they get scared. They're like, I want everyone. And it's actually better to eliminate some people because it's going to slow your sales team down. If they do become a customer, they're the most likely ones to churn. So I think really this problem of like having lots of traffic that's really unqualified Mm -hmm. is look at who it's written for. It's probably not written for the right person. You've got to make a pivot. And in order to do that, to find out like who that is, work with your marketing ops person or your rev ops person to go in, look at the CRM, figuring out who is making that conversion, whether it's a demo or free trial. There's some common denominators around the majority of folks doing that. And that's who you need to write for. So take a look at that and make sure you're saying this is who we are for in your content. That's how I would handle that one. That's a good one. All right. I have one. Thank you. (laughs) I knew I liked you. (laughs) We should be friends. We We should. should. We totally should. Okay. I have one for you. And this actually has come up for me a couple times. So I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this. So you're working with a brand and they ask you this age old question. Should we spend money bidding on our own brand name? Yeah. I've heard this for the last 15 years. (laughs) (laughs) right? It feels like you already own it. Do I need to actually spend money on it? If so, how much? How would you tackle that? So I'm going through this actually with a client that we work with for in, I had a paid media over at Three Ventures. And this has been a topic of discussion. I will say at this point, I think it really depends on the brand. Some brands, they have such loyalists that it's not going to matter if someone types it in and a competitor comes up, the odds that they're going to be swayed by that are very low because there's brand passion around them. So in some cases, if there's that kind of rabid fandom, it's your decision really if you want to spend the money on it. But a lot of times we've seen that you can scale back and it's not going to matter so much. And that can happen in B2B too, where it's like if you only integrate with certain things and you have competitors that have different features, you're probably going to find that you struggle by bidding on their name or them bidding on yours because there's not enough crossover. Like you technically do the same thing, but when it gets to integrations and all that kind of stuff and like what stack that it will work with, that starts to get pretty dicey. But if you're in a a position where you are in a really competitive market. So for example, we have, we're doing this actual study right now in the travel industry. So this group, they tailor to a very specific user type. So they have very steep competition because they, and like we were just saying, they have a very well-defined niche, right? So one of the things that they've been very hesitant to do is spend a lot on brand, kind of for the reasons you said, they're like, we already own this, we shouldn't have to pay for it. And I think there's a couple philosophies around that that exist outside of what the data will tell you. And we'll, I'll talk about how we're trying to measure that in a minute. But there's really two schools of thought that I run into. The first is we built up all this brand equity. Google just wants our money. We shouldn't have to pay for it, right? So it's a principally driven reason that they don't want to pay for it. The other school of thought is we spend spend so much money (laughs) getting that brand equity. Why would we not spend the money on defending it? And everyone pretty much falls into those two camps, right? So the places that don't believe that they should have to spend the money on it, or they feel like it's moral opposition, whatever you want to call it, One of the things that I usually recommend you do, and it's not perfect, so data nerds, before you come after me, I know it's not perfect, I get it. But usually what I'll say to do is just kind of do like a mini brand lift study. So for these guys, we looked at their overall, not just for paid, but because we're talking about brand, right? So that gets more into the awareness field of things, but 
we said, let's look at where your business comes from and let's find two areas that are very similar in nature, right? So for them, it wound up, normally I try and do it with like DMAs or something, but for them, we did it for states just because it was like two states and it's pretty much one big city in each of them that does it. But we're like, let's just do the whole state to make sure we have enough data. So what we said is let's start by, you know, we'll pick one where we're going to like really heavy up on brand because it's just one state. So it's not going to eat their budget alive, right? So we're like, we'll just max out brand spend there. And the other one, we're going to completely turn it off. We're going to spend nothing. Oh my gosh. In one week, the thing that's been interesting to see is when you start drilling into the data, so there's been 80% reduction in the overall requests for information, bookings, that kind of stuff from the state we turned off within a week. Yeah, it's crazy. And then one where we heavied up, there's been like a 250% increase in conversions. So what's interesting though, is that when you start drilling down into it, it's like, who are these users, right? So they have buckets of users that, because they know that it's a longer sales cycle because it's an expensive package. So when you look at like first time sessions versus five plus session customers, the biggest drop off has been in like the first and second visits, which basically that's like new user acquisition for them. And it makes sense when you think about it, the people that already knew them, they're just typing the direct auto-filling the address bar and they're just going. The people that heard about them, they do a lot of direct mail and stuff. So it's like the people that heard about them, they're searching for them. And there are plenty of other competitors that come up that sometimes the websites even look similar. The names are similar because they try and poach the traffic. So for someone like them, you'd look at it and say, this makes a difference, right? So that's usually what I recommend you do if you have doubts. And there's, I'm sure you can find a bunch of case studies online too, where PPC managers have been like, we turned off brand, this is what would happen. And here's what happened. And the stories vary. Again, it's the travel vertical is a really good example of that because it is so hyper competitive. It's crazy. But you may find another one if you're in B2B that it's your incremental lift from bidding on brand is like 10%. It's not worth it to you. It kind of just varies based on that. When in doubt, test. Correct. I'm all about the data. Is there ever a situation where you would be like, don't spend anything on branded search? Yeah, there's been times where it's like based on their overall goals. It was just kind of a distraction and didn't really do a whole lot. Even in those cases, it usually winds up being something that like they probably would have gotten. I would say in most times, there are certain things that make sense to bid on. So like maybe not the exact match of your brand name, but like if it's you versus so-and-so, right? If someone puts in like, Google Analytics versus Adobe Analytics. And like you want to direct them to informational content. It's very rare that I see times where that doesn't make sense to do. If there's like a competitive conquesting thing that you know is going on, or if there's content seeking that's mid to bottom of funnel, I don't really tell people like, yeah, you should be on the exact match of your brand. I think that's usually kind of a waste, but a lot of times you're going to see a lot of longer tail keywords that make sense. There are times where I'm like, don't bother bidding on very simplistic brand terms, but almost always there's some phrase like that that's driving them crazy <laughs> where it's like their competitors bidding on it or there's something that their competitors poaching. They want to make sure they have their name associated with. That's Marketing Baby is sponsored by Teal. If you're a B2B marketer looking to make your next right career move, Teal can help you leapfrog your resume to the top of the stack. Their AI resume builder helps you tailor your resume to specific open positions fast. All you have to do is import your resume or LinkedIn profile one time, and Teal does the rest. It even uses AI to rephrase your experience and achievements so they really pop. Even better, it's free to get started at tealhq.com. All right, back to the show. 
This is related, but I'm directing everyone to Justin Simon's latest podcast episode because he had Tim Hansen on, who's like a brilliant SEO mind. And they talked very much about this, about creating your own alternatives page, which I thought was really interesting to try to capture some of this traffic. So this is kind of an organic play, but I thought the idea was interesting where, again, what we just, what I just talked about, which was like, try to to qualify. If you can own that, your own alternatives page, Mm -hmm. you're going to direct people in the right place of like, well, here's all these other options that are similar to us. But these are the people we want. And if that doesn't quite fit for you, like here's some other options and these maybe are better for you, right? Yeah. So again, a very similar situation. It's a great podcast episode if y'all want to go listen to that. Hmm. I'm going to have to listen to that one. Yeah. Okay. So your second question. Okay. I'm ready. I actually run into this frequently in B2B where they have multiple products or it's like they have a platform that can do technically, yes, they're all related, but the things that they offer might be used by different departments or different personas, right? Yeah. So it winds up feeling like they have to create all of this stuff to market all of the products to all of these people. So what I see happen in those environments a lot is that they just wind up being order takers to product marketing. So it's like they're trying to make content and there's four to five different product marketers feeding them stuff. And there's not really anybody like looking at the overarching what is the content that binds us all together? It just kind of becomes very siloed and it doesn't feel very unified. And the marketing team just winds up kind of being order takers (laughs) from the product side. So what do you do with that from a content perspective when you kind of feel like you have all these silos and it's very top down and there's, it feels like almost like it's more reactive to what's being released in the product than being proactive about how you want to position the company in the suite as a whole. What do you do with that? Okay, this is so common, especially like you said, big platform type pieces of software. Okay. So you've got multiple products, multiple personas. When you multiply them all together, like there are umpteen different possibilities that you could market to. Right. And like you said, because there's so many, you kind of freeze or you just become the in-house agency that sales and product marketing kind of bark orders at, and you just get those things done because you're not really sure what else to do. So first off, I think what you have to kind of figure out is with leadership, what is the one product? And this is if you have a small team specifically. If you have a larger team, you can kind of handle some of this. We're like, hey, over here is going to be kind of our enterprise group of people. Over here is going to be kind of like our small to medium business side of how, like if you have a big team, you can kind of figure that out. If you have a small team, it gets really hard. And I think that's where most of our audience sits, right? Is like kind of a small team. So with leadership, you have to figure out what is the one product? What's the wedge? What's kind of the thing? I always call it like the magnet or like the lighthouse that brings everybody in, right? Yes. What is the reason people come to us first and foremost? Like what is the either easiest thing to get onto? Mm -hmm. What is the thing that everyone can use right away? There's got to be one thing that it can be like, this is the way in and then we can land and expand, right? Like once you become a customer with this one product, we can sell the rest. Yeah. So I think first and foremost is like figure out what that is and really build like your inbound marketing machine around that so that when people come in, they can get on quick, they can learn quickly. Maybe it's the thing that gets the value, time to value fastest, right? Find out what that is. And there will be something like there will be that one product or whatever that is. And then I would also figure out, just keep it simple. What's the one job title that comes in for that the most? the one job title that comes in for that one product the most, and what is the one channel 
that drives most of those people coming in for that one product, right? So like just get to the lowest common denominator that can get you to success the fastest. And that is where I would start in that case. And then as the team grows, as the business grows, as you get more funding or you have more headcount, then you can start to expand that out a little bit. You can add another persona. You can add another product. Maybe it's the one that's kind of like second in terms of people come in and they're most likely to sign on. Mm -hmm. But like, I think when you have a small team and you're just starting out and you're really building that strategy, you have to figure out the one product, the one persona, the one channel, and build that up and win there for a little while before you do anything else. Again, you're just going to continue to take orders because you don't have a strategy, you don't have a plan. And the other thing that you're going to have to do is figure out how to triage all of that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Usually what happens or what I would suggest is like, if those requests coming in from sales and product marketing don't align with that one product, that one persona, and that one channel, it gets put on hold until you can tackle it. If it does, great. It's just helping us drive toward that goal of really keeping things streamlined. But if it doesn't, it's not going to help us right now. And so we're going to put that on hold. And that's how you can have that conversation then as you can start to say like, listen, this is what we're driving toward right now. And this does not align with it. Therefore, we'll have to wait a little while, right? Until we get that new headcount or we're told by leadership like, okay, we have really hit this market and this persona, this product really hard. Things are going well. Let's expand that at least gives you a reason to say no. You're not just saying no because I don't want to do it or I'm busy or I'm sick of being an order taker, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. some rationale. That's how I would handle that. When we talk, because there's so many parallels, good marketing is good marketing. But it's funny too, like I was just thinking about how even in e-com, there's kind of that same problem where it's like someplace might carry a whole bunch of different patterns or types or usually what we'll find on the ad side is there's like always one that brings people in, but it's not necessarily the one that gets bought. It's something that's like attention getting and they'll get to the site and they'll purchase, but that's not what they purchase, right? And it'll be this eternal battle of people like, but that's not our best-selling product. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It, it, like they always want to feature the best. The best-selling products, if you look at jeans, right? It's probably going to be a very basic pair of jeans. No one's going to click on that <laughs> in a feed, but it's like if there's something that has like crazy colors or sticks out or whatever, it's like it attracts the right person and then it's aspirational in nature. So it's just kind of funny. It's like when you focus on the, just the one thing that works for a while, And the thing is, too, it's like if you can get them there, people can usually kind of navigate to what it is that's going to work for them. But it's just getting them there and in the door and making it easy for them to find what they want. That's usually the challenge if you have that much content going on. Yeah. It's like I see the Barbie pink jacket, but then I'm going to get the basic black. Yeah. Yeah, I know. In the same way. Like, oh, that jacket's cool. I'm like, yeah, I'm a mom. I can't wear that. (laughs) But it gets you to click, right? It like brings you in. So you got to find the wedge. You got to find the thing that brings them in. The lighthouse. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I have one more for you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. Okay. So let's say you have a brand and Facebook has always been kind of a question mark for them. They do maybe well on LinkedIn and they know maybe there's some people on Facebook that are either fans or have liked their content on Facebook, Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to handle maybe going there for paid because targeting is hard on Facebook, especially if it's B2B, right? Like on LinkedIn, it might cost a little more, but I know I'm hitting marketers or CISOs or whatever it is on Facebook, that's not always the case. So like, how would you get someone started and feel comfortable getting started on Facebook? Yes. So I always hear from a lot of places, Facebook doesn't work for us, right? And I think there's a few things that if you can approach it with the right mindset and outlook and kind of goals, you can definitely make it work for you. I think the first is 
you have to recognize that you are simply going to have more waste on Facebook. That would happen no matter what. It's a much larger platform, right? So the impression levels are going to be higher. There's just going to be more waste. The key to that though is I think people automatically think, oh, it's going to be waste. It's a bad thing. Here's the thing. It depends on what the waste costs you, right? So if you look at the cost of media and you have something like LinkedIn where, you know, you have a 60 to $150 CPM or, you know, whatever it is based on how you have things set up, it's, there's a lot of pressure for that media money to do something very significant very quickly. And especially because you are laser targeting, that's the expectation is that I'm paying a lot so that this does well quick. With Facebook, it's sort of the opposite where you're going, okay, I'm just going to spray and pray as we say in media a little bit more. But if we can do that and have it be a cost that's palatable to us, I don't really care if there's as much waste, right? So let's look at an example. This was something you and I did. I'm actually doing it with a company right now again, but they are a content machine. They generate really great content all the time. And, but LinkedIn is kind of just out of their reach because it's a subscription-based product. So for them, if it's going to cost like $150 to get a form fill, just to get someone on the email list, that doesn't make sense for them at all, right? Because it's a $200, $300 yearly subscription. So for them, you know, they can target who they want, but the cost just does not pan out for them. And if you look at something like Facebook, we can go after opt-ins to, and they know, you know, that people that opt into their community and their newsletter tend to end up converting at some point, whether they do a subscription or they do a one-time purchase or whatever. So for them, it doesn't really matter that they are going to get newsletter signups and submissions that may not be their ideal customer because they're paying $7 a piece for them, right? So it's like, I mean, you could still get... 10 of them and have them suck and you still have not reached what it would cost you to get one on LinkedIn. So you kind of have to just balance the expectation. I think the other piece too is the more first party data you have that you can leverage, the better. And that comes in two forms with Facebook. The first is I still have lookalikes that'll work pretty well. It's, it's, sometimes it's harder with B2B just because the match rate of the emails is going to be lower. But that's why I encourage places to try and use like the on-platform tools that Facebook has because those audiences aren't degraded, right? So the audiences that go to your website, Facebook doesn't have nearly as much insight about them as they used to because of privacy settings. What people do on Facebook stays with Facebook. So if you have a five-minute clip from a webinar or something that you'd be willing to just give for free just in exchange for engagement, then you can make audiences based on how they engage with that content. And that's not expensive to do. It's like run a video views campaign, test a couple different creatives, see what people stick around and watch, and then create a remarketing audience for everybody that watched more than 50% of it or whatever it is. Ooh, it's a little yeah. Pied Piper action. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> so it's like there's the more that you can kind of leverage what Facebook has, the better. And then if you're running something like a lead form campaign, you can make lookalikes off of what people have done. So it's like make a lookalike off the people that watched 50% of the video, make a lookalike off the people that have submitted the lead form. So the more you can use that data, the faster you're going to get there because you don't have the interests really that you do on LinkedIn. You certainly don't have job titles or seniority or any of that stuff. So you kind of have to get people to opt in as cheap as possible and then refine it as you go. It can be a longer slog. I mean, some people will never get LinkedIn to work at a cost that makes sense for them. So Facebook might not feel like a long slog because they're like, I'm just happy it worked. <laughs> it, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity with B2B on Facebook. I just see a lot of businesses do it wrong. And I think the other thing is too, is they, they try and like, use the same tone that would be on LinkedIn and their ads on Facebook, and it just comes off as corporate and boring. So it really requires personality. It requires you talking to them like a human. You have to be willing to give stuff away for free. It's just a different mindset, but it's a cheaper 
land if you can get it to work right. You just have to know how to use the levers that are in there to make it work. Yeah. This was so fun. I know. (laughs) We need to do this again. Please send us your ideas or literal like, hey, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, asking for a friend who is me. Right. Asking for me. (laughs) Yes. Because this is really fun. And I think this is pretty applicable to a lot of people. Hey, just like, (laughs) what do I do here? Yeah, I know. Especially when you're that close to it every day. You're just like, I give up. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I surrender. (laughs) Or I don't even know where to start. Like, how do I even get going? Are we analogy? Here comes. (laughs) Here comes the analogy. (laughs) Screw, marry, murder, whatever it is, like of marketing. (laughs) What would you do? (laughs) What is the name of that thing again? I forget. I can't. I can't. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. There's an F bomb in there. I don't feel like that's right for this podcast. Sorry, y'all. You're not listening to the children. I know. I feel like, yeah, I feel like people have this on in the car with the kids. So, yeah. You get what I'm saying. Yes. This is our version. Well, thank you for your time today answering the questions, Jess. You it's time too. well spent. Hey, have a have a happy Halloween. Yeah, you too. And thanks everybody for listening. And we will see you next time on That's Marketing Baby. That's Marketing Baby. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Marketing Baby. If you dig what we're putting down, be sure to subscribe and share with your marketing besties. Because you know, hot marketers don't gatekeep. And if you're like, this is not enough, I need more, we got you. Rants and Raves is the official newsletter of That's Marketing Baby. Every week, Susan and I share one thing we love and loathe in the world of marketing. Get on the list at that'smarketingbaby.com. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye.